0: This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by the Trek Geek Shop. Now you can help support our show and get yourself some cool Star Trek gear at the same time. Check out our line of t-shirts, mugs, hats, and other items for your inner Trek geek at shop.trekgeeks.com.
1: Hi, this is Michelle Specht.
0: I play Dr. Elise McKenna on Star Trek Continues. Oh my God, I'm totally fangirling right now because I just met Dan Davidson and Bill Smith of the Trek Geeks podcast. Oh my gosh, they are amazing.
1: Biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. Welcome, one and all, to Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. We're so glad you've joined us here for episode 81. We've got a great show on tap for you today, and uh, it's a a TNG episode that we've been talking about, talking about for quite a while. And at this point, I probably should bring on my co-host, my podcasting partner, if you will. You know, if he'd been aboard the Pegasus, Ensign William T. Babyface Riker would have phasered him first. It wouldn't have had anything to do with a mutiny. I mean, he's just that annoying. He's the airlockable Dan Davidson. Dan, welcome aboard, buddy, and don't get too comfortable in that seat, man.
0: Um, I'll try not to, but with an introduction in, yeah, with an introduction like that, it kind of makes me wish I had materialized in that solid rock. Thanks.
1: I, I think we're all ho- hoping for that. One. Wow. It starts right out of the gate. Okay. (laughs) Good to be here. Well, buddy, first and foremost, um, last week we celebrated my wedding anniversary, and this week we celebrate yours. So happy, uh, happy, happy to you and your bride.
0: Thank you very much, man. It has been a wonderful day. It also happens to be her birthday, so she kind of has a two-for-one special going. Uh, And uh, it's been a great day. It's been a great weekend. We celebrated over the weekend, uh, just the absolute love of my life.
1: And uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. That is fantastic. Well, here's to many, many more happy years for the Davidsons, for sure. And to you, too, as well, man. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Dan, we want to do some business up front because, as you know, once a quarter we give away a $25 Amazon.com gift card in our iTunes subscribe and review campaign. And, well, you remember last quarter we gave away one to John in Cincinnati? Yes. And uh, this quarter, we're giving away another 25 bucks, and you happen to know who our winner is, don't you, sir?
0: I absolutely do. Thanks, man. Yeah, um, Beth uh, from Cleveland, Ohio, has two reasons to be really happy tonight. A, her team's in the World Series, and B, she just won a $25 Amazon gift card from Trek Geeks for her incredible review, which I'm going to read here. Congratulations, Beth. Uh, she writes... Trek Geeks was the first Star Trek podcast I started listening to, and it's still my favorite. Bill and Dan's sheer enthusiasm for Trek helped reconnect me to the fandom and helped me find other Trek websites, fan films, and podcasts. Their Facebook fan group, Camp Kittimer, is also a blast, and I highly recommend that you check them out. That is pretty awesome. Thank you so much, Beth, and congratulations on that uh, gift card that's coming your way.
1: Absolutely, Beth. Thank you so much, and we're glad you're here, and we're glad you're a part of Camp Kittimer, and we look forward to more fun ahead. For those of you who haven't written a review yet, it's really easy. All you have to do is go to iTunes, rate and review the podcast, and that's it. That automatically enters you into a quarterly drawing for a $25 Amazon.com gift cord. Cord? Cord. Why, Why can't I say gift card lately? Because you do the podcast with me. Yeah, it's probably true. I think you're in, you're infectious. Uh, <laughs> or the equivalent in your country's version of Amazon. So if you happen to be outside the United States, don't worry, you qualify for this too. You'll just get the equivalent of 25 bucks. So to find out more, go to TrekGeeks.com slash iTunes, and that'll give you all the details on the review uh subscribe and review effort. Man, I am just really mailing it in today. Loving it. (laughs) Oh, Dan. Oh, Bill. Once again, it's time for the news from TrekNews.net. <laughs> <laughs> dot Looking for the best in Star Trek news. It's TrekNews.net. Dan, did you know they're online at TrekNews.net?
0: I did, and they're awesome, and we love them.
1: <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> they're our great friends, and we like to talk about the news from their website in every episode. And Dan... In the news this week, it appears that the very first guess for this year's Star Trek Las Vegas, that would be STLV 51 has been announced, and it's really no surprise as to who it is.
0: No, it's no surprise. Not a whole lot of news this week, but this is one that I was glad to see. Um, not a lot of surprise in this, but uh, as expected, guest number one is the number one guest in many people's minds, and that is uh, Mr. William Shatner. Captain James Tiberius Kirk himself has signed on to appear at the event in Las Vegas, like you said, STLV 51, or we could also call it STLV 30 if we wanted to, but we'll get into that another time um but uh creation is hoping to get uh over a hundred uh guests representing all of the star trek uh universe for vegas next year so they've got a little over 99 to go because uh william shatner's uh got a problem and the convention ain't won. uh
1: that was terrible (laughs) (laughs) What what the hell wow. were you doing wow. there? I
0: don't know. It's just coming all off the top of my head because there's... Uh, mm-hmm. If Jay-Z
1: were dead, he'd be <laughs> rolling in his grave. Oh, my word. I mean, great job, Dan. Thanks,
0: buddy. It's great like, I'm job. I'm so glad that you're there to, you know...
1: Throw you under a bus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, getting back to Shatner for a second, it's it is no surprise that he's the first guest. He's always the first guest. Yes,
0: and well-deserved to be number one.
1: Uh, it it really is. You know, I, I take some kind of joy in the fact that he still goes to these things. I mean, forget Shatner's reputation. I mean, he's he's William Shatner, let's face it. Mm-hmm. He's Captain Kirk. He will always be Captain Kirk. Yep. And the fact that he still shows up to these cons, regardless of what, whether he's getting paid or not, is still pretty awesome.
0: It is very awesome. And, and he's no spring chicken. I mean, that's not saying anything bad. He's in his late 80s. Uh, and he's still going to these things all over the world. Um, and for the enthusiasm for him to to sign on so early is, is I think, uh, pretty special. We talked this past year before Vegas about how I should um, plan on getting my photo op with him because he is getting up there in age. So I did that this year, and he was absolutely wonderful. He gave me a big smile and hello when I was standing next to him for those three seconds. Um, I'm glad that he's going to be there for next year. I'm looking forward to seeing him again.
1: Let me ask you this. You got your photo with Shatner this year? Are you going to get it signed?
0: Absolutely. Yep, nice. That is going to be on the on the list for me to do uh, at STLV51/30. slash
1: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> let's not confuse me with numbers. We know I'm not that bright. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I um this is a bit of a tangent. We're not really talking about news right now, but since we're talking about cons, I was thinking this morning that you know, every like anniversary year they usually do a big um cast photo opportunity so Mm -hmm. like with voyager they had a big voyager photo op with the whole cast i have my photo with the deep space nine cast Ah. if they do a tng one this year i almost think i have to pull the trigger on that as expensive as it's going to be
0: i think that's a very good idea i'll have to start thinking about doing that myself it would be great i i gotta say man i'm envious of your deep space nine photo because that is just Amazing, because we both love Deep Space Nine so much. But yeah, I think it would be a great idea. I'm also looking forward to an Enterprise one if one comes out in in the next five or 10 years when they reach one of those big dates. That'd be kind of cool too.
1: I agree. Well, Dan, moving on. uh, Last week, we discussed the new Star Trek Encyclopedia that was coming out. And as we discover this week, well, one, it seems like everybody on social media has it except for me. (laughs) <laughs> and now you have some firsthand experience with this epic volume, don't you?
0: Yeah, and it is, it is everything that everybody's saying on social media. I can't thank my wife, Susan, enough for an anniversary gift. She got me the encyclopedia. That's pretty cool when you have a geek husband who loves Star Trek, and it just basically means I'm going to have time where I'm not spending with you because I'm going to be reading this 1,000-whatever-how-many-page book of all these fun facts of, of Star Trek. It is amazing. I, I mean, I can't, I can't describe how great a job the Akutas did in this in this uh, revised edition. I had the original that came out back in the '90s, and it's it's tiny compared to this thing. It is. It's, it's 11.6 pounds of sheer awesomeness. First of all, it's huge. It's heavy. It's The the paper is very um, sturdy and and solid paper. The the, uh, imagery is fantastic. They really made sure that they did this one correct. It goes all the way up through Star Trek Into Darkness. The only thing that it does not include that we have seen so far is Star Trek Beyond. And of course, Discovery hadn't been announced when they were finishing up. So it's pretty all-encompassing, and it is awesome. Mike and Denise, you guys did a phenomenal job.
1: So wait a second, mm. 11.6 pounds, so more than a bag of potatoes.
0: Yes, if you if you buy a 10-pound bag of potatoes, Bill, this encyclopedia would be heavier than that 10 pounds of potatoes because it's
1: 11.6 pounds. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> I think my point was that it's heavy.
0: It is. It's heavy. It's uh, it's uh, you know, and and you know, I'm not, you know, I'm certainly no, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger or, or anything like Ain't that. that. The truth. Yeah, I know. I'm serious. Um, but it's uh it's heavy. It and it's it's amazing. And it's two volumes. The artwork uh, on both uh, covers is just beautiful. And inside, you're just going to have lots and lo- lots and lots of stuff to read.
1: So wait, you bring up Schwarzenegger and don't even give us a, a get in the chopper.
0: Why? Oh, Why do you, am I, it's, <laughs> it's not a tumor <laughs> get in
1: the chopper get the hell out uh, of here uh, everybody down <laughs> and dan lastly uh, you and i are going to be guests on the gnt show this coming weekend as we drop this on uh, tuesday october 25th 2016 for their 24 hours of T, their annual fundraising drive to help uh Offset the costs of their show and their servers. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's on the 29th. We're going to be on uh, live, which we don't often do. Ooh. That should be fun. Oh, boy. And uh, it promises to be a fun time with you and me and five-year mission and the g and crowd.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's going to be a blast, jerk. Wow. I'm going to be in shackles up in front of a judge because this is going to be the trial of Dan Davidson from Trek Geeks versus
1: five-year mission for IP
0: theft or whatever the hell they want to
1: call it. You will only be in shackles and leg irons if there's a god. (laughs) Mister.
0: it is going to be a lot of fun uh, we've been looking forward to this since Vegas uh, there's going to be some surprises I think um, I'm confident of the outcome but it's not going to be up to me um, you are probably you're probably good either way because you're part of trek geeks and and we're such good friends and and we're happy uh, to be doing this together but you also stabbed me in the back and became an honorary member of five-year mission so if they win you're going to be happy too so thanks
1: Hey, you're welcome. Well, you know, the first rule is protect yourself, right?
0: right? Rule of acquisition number Bill Smith, whatever number that is.
1: You are terrible at counting. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that is this coming Saturday the 29th of October. If you go over to the GNT show's website, uh, I'm sure it will be there. We'll also put a link on our show notes. <laughs> Well, Dan, it's time to discuss the main topic of today's episode, and that is the season seven Next Gen episode, The Pegasus.
0: That is a phenomenal episode. It's one of my favorite Next Next Generation episodes, actually. Uh, Watching it recently to prepare for this just completely solidified that opinion. It is amazing. The performances by all of the regular cast, particularly Jonathan Frakes and and Patrick Stewart, are awesome. But Terry O'Quinn steals the show as Admiral Er Eric Pressman in this episode. It is one of the best.
1: I have to say, I love everything Terry O'Quinn is in. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy is is lights out in everything he does. And for a long time he was one of my favorite character actors, you know, one of those guys in the background. You don't know his name, but you see him and everything, you go, Oh, that guy. Right. And it wasn't until he was on Lost really that people started to know his name. And since so I know Lost is your all time favorite show. Yes. You I know you have a, a vast love for for Terry O'Quinn as well. Yes, I do. Um it's it's easy to see why he got special guest star status in this episode of Next Gen.
0: Yeah, it really is. Um, he. It's funny. I think we mentioned this in in the um, uh, in one of our documents that we did for this podcast that we're going to be. Uh, everybody's going to be listening to, obviously. But I actually am, and I'm serious when I say this. I see the pieces of John Locke's character forming in this performance of Admiral Pressman. Maybe it's because I've watched Lost several times over the years and really know the character of John Locke so well, but I really do see him in this role.
1: That's interesting to me. I don't know that I ever thought of it that way before. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can get into that once we start talking about our overall reaction to the episode. Sure. But Dan, um, as usually at this point we do, um, we usually go through the official Trek Geeks two-minute recap. Are you ready for that sir i'm ready because usually i go over but i
0: really i'm feeling pretty confident tonight okay I think it's going to be under that two minutes uh if
1: not what are, what are you going to do but <laughs> <laughs> well um, i i'm i'm fascinated that this could be the case because as you mentioned this would probably be the first time ever yes so i'm going to cue up my stopwatch right
0: here let me know when you're ready as soon as you say go i'm going
1: okay are you ready
0: ready and begin. The Enterprise is rerouted to meet the USS Crazy Horse and pick up a member of Starfleet Intelligence for a classified mission. It's Riker's former captain and now admiral, Eric Pressman. Their former ship, the Pegasus, was presumed destroyed 12 years ago during a failed experiment, but it appears that it is still intact and very close to the Romulan neutral zone. There's obvious tension between Pressman and Riker during the discussion that some vital equipment must be salvaged from the Pegasus. Picard does some digging into the events that led up to the destruction of the ship, and it turns out that there was a mutiny just before the accident that caused an explosion. He also finds that the investigation was quietly ceased, and the issue was buried. He asks Riker for info as to what happened, and he explains that they were doing experiments on the engines when there was an accident. Shortly thereafter, the crew mutinied against Pressman, and Riker defended his captain, and they escaped just before what appeared to be the destruction of the ship. He then gets tight-lipped and says he's been ordered by Pressman to not discuss the events, which causes Picard to question the current command structure of the Enterprise. The Enterprise finds the Pegasus mostly intact inside a giant asteroid. Pressman orders the Enterprise into the asteroid by way of a giant chasm so he and Riker can retrieve the mysterious object. While in the asteroid, the Romulans destroy the opening and trap the ship inside. But all's not lost. It turns out that this secret experiment is actually a cloaking device in direct violation of the Treaty of Algeron. Not only is it a cloaking device, it also allows a ship to travel through normal matter, a phasing cloaking device, if you will. Geordi and Data hook it up to the Enterprise engines, and they literally go through the asteroid and decloak right in front of the Romulans. Picard advises the Romulans that the government will be contacted, and he quickly places Pressman and subsequently Riker under arrest. In the brig, Picard advises Riker that several members of Starfleet Intelligence and Admiral Pressman will be facing general court martials for their illegal activities, and Riker too will be facing some tough days ahead. But the fact that he made the right decision in telling the captain about the cloaking device should weigh in his favor, and he releases Riker from the brig. Are you done? Yeah, I think it went over 2 minutes.
1: Uh I'm really sorry. That was 10 minutes and 24 seconds. <laughs> Ten, that was eight. that was your worst showing yet. 10:24. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Now actually it was 2 minutes and 8 seconds. So uh seconds. so not bad, buddy. Oh, yeah. Well, that's 8 that, seconds. That's your best I, one yet.
0: It's 8 seconds I can never get back. Yeah, it's I
1: got 80 episodes I can't get back. Wow. So as we've talked already, I mean, we both have an incredibly favorable view of this episode, and now it's been 20-plus years later, mm-hmm. and going back and watching it, did you still feel as passionately as you did before, or do you have you gained more or new appreciation for this episode?
0: I think I've gained more appreciation for it because when I've watched it in the past, it's been because I love the show, and I love... I love um, all things star trek now that i'm doing it for this podcast i tend to look at it with a different set of eyes when i watch it so i can get different you know types of of uh of thoughts as to what i might think is good or bad there's there's nothing bad in this episode it's it's great the only thing that's bad maybe is the special effect of the chasm when it gets uh destroyed by the romulans um but other than that the acting is great. The storyline is great. Uh, the tie-in to past history in Star Trek is great. It just – they do a phenomenal job of giving us an episode that really helps build the characters that we know and love and puts them in a pretty sticky situation and, and ultimately um, shows us his internal struggle of what he needs to do to make all is right in, this, in the world uh, with regards to Picard.
1: You know, I've gained a new appreciation for this episode, too. And it it took me a while to realize why I like it so much. And I think it's because this episode is very Deep Space Nine-like. You know, this episode goes a long way to establish a rift or a potential rift between Picard and Riker. And there's tension there. And Riker, for the first time on this show is not sure about what he should do because Riker's always the guy that beams down to the planet and he's always in command and he's always in in charge of both the personnel and his reaction. And there's nothing he can do in this episode that makes anything better. He is along for the ride and, and Frakes kills this episode, man. He just totally puts in one of his best performances as Riker in this episode. And I think that's what makes it so great is that we see a Riker that is off balance and we don't see that very often, almost never. I don't, you can't really count frame of mind because that was a little different, but in his own element, we never see a Riker that doesn't have control. And that's what we have here.
0: I think one of the things that's great about this is in, in addition to not being in control, He's very hesitant about a lot of the things. The, the work that he and Terry O'Quinn did when they were talking to each other from across the room and they had those little side glances at each other and the, and the, the tone of their voices when they were talking, you knew that something was up. They did a masterful job of making that tension physical. In, in whatever room they were in, whether it be the ready room or the or the conference room or whatnot. Uh, and hats off to Riker. He did an awesome Riker walk at one point in this episode, walking up to one of the science stations behind the horseshoe, which totally makes me think of you now because you do the best <laughs> Riker walk impersonation of anyone but Jonathan Frakes, so.
1: <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> you know, in that scene with Picard in in Picard's quarters, there's a look on Riker's face when Picard says he may have to evaluate or reevaluate the command structure on the ship. Mm-hmm. It is true disbelief and amazement, and it's priceless.
0: It is priceless, and it also show. It's like a punch to the gut. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't expect. Uh, Picard to say that, but and I don't think he was saying it just to get the information from Riker. I think he truly believed it. We know how Picard is and how um, devoted he is to the Federation and the chain of command. And when he's barking at Riker and Riker doesn't flinch, I'm taking it up with you, Will. I, and Riker's just like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not helping. Um, I think that is the reaction that Picard gives him for his non-disclosure of what happened speaks volumes and the look on Riker's face is priceless, like you said.
1: Well, and Riker also knows that Picard is going to unload with both barrels because he's not going to like that answer. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, here's Riker, you know, a guy who literally has helped save humanity, you know, when the Borg, mm -hmm. you know, attempted to invade Earth. And here's a guy who you know is the first officer of the flagship of the federation he and picard have established a relationship of mutual respect and trust and understanding and borderline friendship like they sort of set in the first scene the captain picard day and riker potentially could undo it all simply by virtue of the fact that he won't tell picard and it is it is a won't tell it's not a can't tell because he could tell Picard. Mm-hmm. There is that level of trust. And later he tells him. Right. So I that scene in particular just totally stresses for me why Frakes is in that part because... He really kills it in this episode. I, I can't say enough good things about Jonathan Frakes in this episode.
0: It is one of his best, uh, if not the best. It's, sound, it's sort of like uh, how we talked about uh, Ensign Kim in the Timeless episode. That's his episode. This is yeah. Riker's episode, I think. But I will say, um, I I think that Patrick Stewart is amazing in episodes like this. We saw the confrontation with him and Riker in this Episode And it reminds me of the first duty when he starts dressing up and down Wesley Crusher and the 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 talk that he has with him. Like, you tell Admiral Brand what happened or I will. I mean, just that whole dynamic of being captain. Doesn't matter if it's an ensign or it's the first officer. He's not afraid to say it like it is. And Stuart nails those two scenes. Uh, two of the best scenes that Stuart does in The Next Generation.
1: Well, let's also give credit where credit is due here because LeVar Burton directs the hell out of this episode. Mm-hmm and i had forgotten that he had directed it until i went back and watched it for the podcast you know he he does a he's got so much great talent on the screen and there's so much weighty stuff here and he gives these actors enough room to do what they do best and he gets it you know all on the shot and it's it's a magnificent episode he really did a great job
0: i'd love to see if there are any bloopers for that scene for <laughs> like he's he's really just yelling at Riker and Riker starts laughing. <laughs> I don't know why I think that would be so funny.
1: <laughs> if I had to give this episode, you know, one thing I think it falls short on, I think what it's missing is a scene between Will and Deanna.
0: I you know, I I don't know. I think that this is an episode that hinges very strongly on Riker with his former captain and Riker with his current captain and the struggle that he has in doing the right thing. Very reminiscent of Spock in the cage with Captain Pike and Captain Kirk. So I think that focusing on that instead of bringing the counselor in and what their past relationship might do to help him through was a good thing. It showed the struggle that he was having just between the
1: captains. I would have liked a very different scene. You know, in this episode, Riker jeopardizes every relationship in his world, whether it's with Picard or Pressman or actually the entire crew of the Enterprise's first officer. And one of the most important relationships to Riker on that ship is Deanna. And I think there was a good moment for tension there, too. You know, I feel... I I do feel a little cheated in a way you know Enterprise's finale tried to deal with this a little bit and they made Troy more clinical mm-hmm. they made her more the ship's counselor and less Will's you know Imzadi okay yes, and I think they that it's just it's one thing I wish this episode had done that's all
0: okay I can understand that I mean, you're wrong but that's alright <laughs>
1: Well, thank you. No, I really appreciate
0: that. I'm, I'm glad that you actually brought that up. Uh, we could go into it in a few minutes, but since you mentioned it, let's let's talk about that a little bit. Um, there's a lot of there's a there's a there's a very solid dividing line of fans as to whether it was the right thing to do to make this episode the reference point in the Enterprise finale, and right. I am on the side of. It, I don't, <laughs> Enterprise was in its groove. Unfortunately, it had already been canceled. And I'm of the belief myself that it was a mistake to do that. Uh, I thought it was a, an attempt to bring in fans that were um, huge admirers of the next generation and Star Trek, but were not as happy with Enterprise and, and they wanted to go out with a big bang, so to speak. Um, what about you? Did, were you for or against this episode being that reference point?
1: Um, I kind of waver on it. I don't think the episode is as bad as other people think it is, but I don't think it was appropriate for the series finale. If they wanted to do an episode at some point that dealt with that, because I mean, it it puts the TNG characters in a weird place, going through a part of enterprise that fans have no connection to Mm -hmm. this whole mission to save Shran's daughter. Right. It's like, it's sort of plucked out of the future. It's like, well, how do we get there? You know, th- there's no vesting in that, in that adventure, mm-hmm. if you will. I think it could have been an interesting story at one point, but I think as a finale, it, it, it shouldn't have been the finale of Enterprise. I, is what I'm
0: saying. Yeah, I agree. And I also think on some levels, you could pick any episode of the next, if you're going to do this, why not just pick any up? Code of Honor. It could have been Code of Honor that they were sitting <laughs> talking about something. No, um, Lieutenant
1: Yar, <laughs> no vaccine. <laughs> that was very good. Thank you. Um,
0: yeah, it was, it was unfortunate. Of course, it was unfortunate that Enterprise got canceled when it did. Um, and to have a lot of people thought that this was nothing more than an, a, a TNG episode that just happened to have Enterprise in it, which is unfortunate because that's obviously not what it was.
1: No, I agree with that. Um, let's talk a little bit more about some of the things we really like about you know the developments in this episode. I think that um, the discussion between Picard and Pressman when they're talking about Riker is incredibly interesting because it does a great job of highlighting the different perceptions mm-hmm. that both men have, both of command and of Riker himself. Yep, you know they're they're kind of at odds about. You know how a captain should pick a first officer, and they're essentially both talking about, you know, why they think Will Riker is a stand-up guy, and they're both right.
0: Yeah, the, the the line that Picard uses he he stood his ground because he thought he was right. That's something that you're looking for in a first officer, and it looked like to me that Pressman was kind of like, and you're captain of the flagship. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I don't I don't know. It's it's very interesting how. Um, two people can be as successful as they were in command, of course, and obviously he was very successful, whether it's earned that he was admiral or if it's whether all of this secret stuff that's been going on for so many years. Uh, But both of them are good at what they do, but they're very, they're distinctly different methods of thinking.
1: Very. Yeah. Very. Here's what I want to know. So Eric Pressman obviously knows why the Pegasus, you know, is wanted by the Romulans. You know, he knows what the experiment was. Mm-hmm. So why does he not understand how the Pegasus's regi- Pegasus Pegasus's... <laughs> Pegasus. Why does he not understand how the Pegasai's resonance signature can be inside the asteroid if it's a phased cloaking device? Exactly. That's- he knows it can pass through solid matter, and he's not playing dumb at that point. Good point. Very good point. Um. Yeah, good question. Also, uh, he acts
0: so secretive about this. I'm sure this was not his decision to do these tests back 12 years ago, and it wasn't his idea, and only he knew what was going on and was responsible for what was going on. Why is it such a secret? If there were so many people in Starfleet Intelligence that were working on this and things went wrong declassify it to a certain point so that the ship that's being sent on this mission to retrieve it knows what's going on so that they can better prepare for any weird situation that might come up.
1: Well, and honestly, why was Starfleet doing this in the first place?
0: Section 31 should have been taken care of it.
1: It shouldn't have been Starfleet. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting that the account of, of the Pegasus is described as vague in Starfleet records by Picard. I'm amazed it was there at all. Quite frankly, yeah,
0: it could have been completely, completely redacted everywhere, it wouldn't it, like it never existed. How many times have we seen that happen? Uh, this conversation never took place. This conversation never existed. Section thirty-one comes in and wipes the slate clean of anything that's going on. This could have been a perfect uh, situation for that. Of course, Section thirty-one and Star Trek: Lore hadn't been invented yet, but but still, good good question, man.
1: Here's another question I have. So I'm of the opinion that Riker had to promoted at every step quicker than anybody in the history of Starfleet, and here's why. So when Eric Pressman comes aboard the Enterprise, at that point, it's been 12 years since the Pegasus, correct? Correct. So it's season seven of Next Gen. So that means Riker has been aboard the Enterprise for six years. Mm -hmm. So that says that the Pegasus happened six years before he became the first officer of the Enterprise, when he had- we, no before that he was first officer of the Hood. Right. So in less than six years, <laughs> he went from ensign Babyface <laughs> to first officer of the Hood. He's good. I that timing doesn't quite work for me.
0: <laughs> it's, it's just it's a little off. It's a little off. But who knows what type of, I mean, and you're right. He was fresh out of the Academy when he was serving
1: on the Pegasus. Two months, I think they said, yeah. or whatever it was. it was. It was less than six months out of the Academy. You know, Kirk became captain in the Kelvin timeline real fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Maybe on, Riker, Riker
0: became first officer because he did it on a dare. No? <laughs> no, nice, it's, a, it's a very good question. Uh those are some of the things that when you've had 30 years to look over all of these episodes, is it a continuity mistake? Uh, who knows? I mean, that that could be a question for – maybe if we have Jonathan Frakes on the show, maybe I'll ask him that.
1: Uh, that sounds like a question for Ron Moore since he wrote the episode. Oh, okay, we'll do
0: that. Or Terry Quinn.
1: Well, you f- well, I don't think Terry O'Quinn's going to know the answer to that.
0: I just want to have him on. <laughs> I, know I know
1: you do. Well, you figure Ron Moore, the only reason he came up with the Treaty of Algeron was because he was tired of coming up with reasons why the Federation didn't have cloaking devices.
0: <laughs> don't you like how the cloaking device uh, on the Pegasus was very reminiscent of the cloaking device
1: from the original series? <laughs> I was going to say how it kind of looked like the vacuum tube at a drive-up window at a bank. <laughs> <laughs> just bigger. <laughs> yeah, just a lot bigger. Jeez. Um, I have to say that the tension between Riker and Pressman is played really beautifully in the ready room scene and in the engineering scene aboard the Pegasus. But I think the ready room scene stands out a little more to me because Pressman is ready to lose it.
0: Yes, I was going to say uh, the the engineering scene to me is not as good. Unfort, if there, I said earlier that there's nothing bad with this episode, if there's anything that was really not right for me with this episode, it's actually a bunch of that scene. I think really? I think Frakes, the way that he the guilt starts to take him over when he sees the Rock, the, not not the actor, the Rock, but the Rock, uh, uh, <laughs> is it's a little too much for me for that moment in time. I thought it was just like, maybe it's because he's seeing the rock and realizes that all those people materialized in solid rock. But for me, it was just like, really,
1: you've had 12 years and now you're finally going to start to bend over and almost start crying about it. Oh, see, I, I disagree entirely because I think that at that moment, it finally hits him what his action meant. It wasn't just picking up a phaser and defending his captain. It was the fact that 75 of his shipmates are dead as mm-hmm. a result. Well, and many of them materialized inside that solid rock. I mean, you know, he, he has contempt for his own actions in hindsight, and it doesn't come to a head, I think, until that point.
0: I agree. Keep in mind what I said is, is a lot of that, some of the, a lot or some of that, I don't remember my exact words, Your Honor, yeah, but yeah. Um, when he's right at the face of the rock, Yep. It's, it's that scene to me that looks a little off. The rest of the scene is great. When he stands there and looks at Pressman and goes, if I had thought twice, I would have picked up that phaser and aimed it at you. The way he does that is perfect. It Love is. that. But that other scene, just a few minutes before, it just didn't, it didn't really, it it, it didn't seem right to me for some reason.
1: Honestly, I, I thought it was palpable and it was guilt. I almost felt myself, well, you know, yeah. in his going through it. So, Um, that's interesting that we have that different perspective on that same thing.
0: I also do like the enthusiasm that Pressman has, even though it's been such a difficult situation. I mean, he's so happy that what he worked on is right there in front of him that he doesn't care about anything else. Yeah. That's really interesting.
1: It does show that he has a a rather singular focus and it's a little disturbing in a way. It is.
0: He's kind of a, you know what he reminds me of a little bit? Let me tell you. Edward Jellicoe. Interesting. He reminds me of, as a matter of fact, I've, when I'm thinking about this episode, I was actually doing this tonight when I was driving home from work, I was thinking of this episode and quotes from Jellicoe were popping into my head because I confused the two. Are you threatening my judgment, Commander? From Jellicoe, I was thinking was in this episode from Pressman. Oh, interesting. Because they have very similar qualities about them.
1: Just a little thought I'd throw out there. (laughs) you know, I understand that Pressman looks at all those people on the ship as traitors Mm -hmm. that rose up against him, but he doesn't have an ounce of empathy or emotion or even the slightest bit of regret. None. And I think that that's, that's chilling in one sense and it's telling in another, you know, he can't see that what he's doing was bad already and that it, there's no good that can come of it. And there's, You know, bodies at his feet proving the point. And I think that that's that's what eventually gets to Riker.
0: He's so so taken up in the whole mission and duty that the human aspects of himself seem to be completely gone. Yeah. Uh, And it is very chilling. Now, one of the things that we've discussed is, does this make him bad? To make him a well, admiral.
1: We're going to get to that one later on when okay. we talk about central questions. Oh, that's right. So let me ask you this, because this is another aspect of this episode I've been thinking about. Mm-hmm. Why are the Romulans in the Devlin system? Is it in the neutral zone? Well, is it in their space? Is it in our space? How come they're there and no one's been read the Riot Act as to why they're there? Because those two ships should never meet.
0: Was there ever any reference to where the Pegasus was was presumed destroyed and how close it is to this system?
1: Not to my knowledge. I went back after I watched the episode and, and read through the Memory Alpha article, and the Neutral Zone is never mentioned. Okay. The reason I
0: say that is because... It's 12 years, so you know, there could be a lot of drifting. I mean, it's not going to get anywhere on impulse or warp, that's for sure. So it's always drifting, so that's not a lot. And when you talk about how fast a starship goes at impulse or warp, it's not getting very far, just drifting. So we're talking 12 years. If it's drifting and people at Starfleet Intelligence are aware of these experiments, wouldn't you think they would have had people out looking for it a lot sooner than 12 years?
1: Well, they had to rely on the official report. You know, They said they saw an explosion, which Riker then realized was probably plasma that had ignited after the fact. And then the ship was cloaked and and phasing, so it probably drifted into that asteroid not too far after that. But still, I mean, when a Romulan ship comes across the neutral zone, the first thing the Enterprise usually says is, hey, you violated terms of the neutral zone. And when it's the other way around, the first thing we hear is Starfleet is, hey, you violated terms of the neutral zone. That <laughs> never gets brought up in this episode. It doesn't. So, yeah, that's a good point. We'll have to see you on a map where this is. So, I point. wonder if it's in uh, Dr. Trek's Stellar Cartography. Oh, which is a fantastic volume that I have, by the way. All right. That's a great reference. Check it out. Thank we'll you. wait for you. Oh, it's. Oh, stop whistling. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to that conversation with Picard and Riker because I I think it is one of the central points in this episode for both characters. When Riker starts to tell his recollection of what happened on the Pegasus, I didn't notice this the first couple of times I watched it this week, but he starts his story not looking at Picard and I wonder if it's almost because he can't
0: at that point. Guilty, yeah. He feels guilty.
1: Well, I think his guilt is palpable. And if, you know, it's on his face, it's mm-hmm. on his face ever from the moment the word Pegasus is mentioned in the teaser. Mm-hmm. But he can't look at Picard when he starts to tell the story. It's not until he starts talking about defending his captain that he looks to Picard. And I thought that was a very interesting decision by LeVar to have that be the transition point. I just bring that up as an observation.
0: It's an awesome observation. I've never even thought of that, man, that is, that is an amazing observation and it it goes to show the amazing writing skills and directing skills of everybody involved in the episode. As we're watching it, how many times have I seen it? I don't know, 15 times I've seen it uh, since it first came out. That's never been something that even entered my mind yet. It was probably purposefully done. Just like you said, uh, that's, that's
1: ingenious. I only have one other note on that conversation. I wanted to be sure to get in on our discussion and, and that is, Picard has never needed to question Riker's motivations or actions or anything before this point. And I have to think that this is equally as uncomfortable a place for Picard as uh, as well. Because Will has been his right hand at this point for six years. Right. You know, Will Riker helped get him back from the Borg. You know, it's... Will Rikers helped saved Earth with Picard and you know met countless species. And you know, I have to think that as much as Picard has to dress him down, that Picard has to start doubting his first officer and that can't be a very comfortable position for him.
0: Oh, I'm absolutely not. Losing trust is very it's very traumatic especially with someone that you've had that much trust in for so many years and have done so many things together like oh, I don't know, save the planet like you've said. Losing yeah. trust is very it's like when your podcast partner signs a document for a band. <laughs> you just you never can
1: recover from something like that, but I don't want to get into that right now, pal. But- but I'm part of the band.
0: <laughs> See? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so before we move on to our central questions, um, I want to talk about that last scene in the episode. In the brig? In the brig. Mm-hmm. You know, in the end of this story, Riker steps up and does the right thing, just as Picard, you know, said earlier in the episode, that's who Riker is. I almost think that scene in the brig undercuts all of the tension they had before. You know, to me, in many ways, this episode is kind of totally against Gene's vision and the whole Roddenberry doctrine of the characters have to get along. There can't be any tension. And I almost think this scene is in there to put everything right back on track for the next episode. Okay we we never come back to this uncertainty between them which i think would have been amazing
0: yeah you could have this could have built off into something else uh if they wanted it to what i did not like about that scene is yeah. let's 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 role play a little bit here okay let's say that you and i and four or five other people rob a bank okay mm-hmm. and we all get arrested but before we get arrested i tell someone that yeah, I know all about this. We robbed the bank. I drove the getaway car. I was bad, and I feel bad about it. I don't think there's a chance in hell that I would be released from prison just because I came forward and said, yeah, we all robbed the bank, and I was part of it. And that's what happens in this scene. Right. He was he was guilty of doing something, um, and Picard questioned the command structure of the enterprise, uh, enterprise based on 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 what he felt was going on. And at the end, he says... Everybody else is facing general court-martial. An admiral is going to be court-martialed. Right. And Riker's being let out of the brig with just a nod of the head simply because he came forward and said, that's a phase cloaking device, and I I was a bad boy. I, that just doesn't that doesn't sit well with me.
1: Yeah, it is a very clunky end to this episode. You know, it has such great drama, and it has such great character notes, and, you know, it does so many other things very, very well. And- You get to this point, you almost wonder if Ron Moore wasn't sure how to finish it.
0: Oh, so it was like a Voyager episode. (laughs) Sorry.
1: No, no. I get what you're saying. But, you know, they had to get these characters on to the next episode. Because remember, the show is incredibly episodic. Right. You know, and this is the only way to do it. You can't have all that drama without a, oh, shucks. Right. Exactly. At the end. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's the. As I love this episode, it's one of my favorite Next Gen episodes of all time. That scene is the only real misstep per se. There are other minor things with the episode that you know you give a grain of salt to, mm-hmm. but that's the only thing about that episode that I think is just not up to spec.
0: That and the Romulan cap, uh, captain is kind of a d bag.
1: <laughs> well, he's a Romulan captain. <laughs> Can I just say that every time Picard gets to talk to the Romulans, it's very humorous. It is. <laughs>
0: yeah. He that's turns good. on
1: that that ingratiating charm, like, oh, we're doing that too. Oh my god, it's
0: just like when we sit down and record every week. I
1: know. Tell me about <laughs> it. Oh, I'm choking it back at that point, let me tell you. <laughs> So, Dan, any other thoughts you have on this episode before we move on to the central questions?
0: Uh, no, I think we, we've gone through a lot. And, and you pointed out some stuff that I never even thought of, which which makes me appreciate it even more. I can guarantee you that I'm going to watch this again over the next couple of days with yet another layer of, of, of detail uh, based on the things that we've talked about. It, it really is great. I, I, the other thing I do like, even though it's very, it's very minor, I really like the Admiral uniform that Pressman has. I think it's very cool looking. It's very similar to a regular um, uh, uniform for the crew of the Enterprise, but just there's something about it that I like. Just little almost, things like that. Almost looks like a long
1: coat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very, yeah, very cool. Yep. You almost expect him to show up in a TARDIS. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, with, with Terry O'Quinn, I expected the smoke monster to be somewhere in that engineering section. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah.
1: So, Dan, let's move. We've got three central questions that I came up with in thinking about this episode. Usually we have one, but this, there's a lot to this episode. Okay. And I'm going to take these ones kind of at random. And I'm going to ask you this one first, and we'll both talk about it. So was Will Riker's career built on a cover-up? To s-
0: answer it in a way that Fark would love? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it but is.
1: Does that, does that take away from Riker? Nope
0: <laughs> I don't think it does. um, it may have been built on a cover up, but that but what he did with his career as he started going up the the ladder didn't wasn't part of a cover up. I right. think the initial beginning of his career was built on a cover up. He took it and he ran with it, and he was successful doing it, but it was based on a cover up
1: I don't think that early on. As you know, Ensign Babyface, he knew it was a cover-up. Mm-hmm. I think that he probably realized that later in his career, but you know, at that point, I'm sure he figured it was it was a done deal. Starfleet had covered it up. He never had to deal with it again until you know one day, six years after he boards the Enterprise, Eric Pressman shows up.
0: Right. He may have very well thought that when the judge advocate was going to you know recommended further, uh, um, you know. Discussions about it that they just never happened. He probably thought, oh, okay, it's all set. I'm good. Hands clean. I'm going to not worry about
1: it anymore. And I can go are- back to uh, disappointing Deanna Troy and leaving Betazed. Wow. I know, right? Goodness gracious. So central question number two. We've talked a bit over the last few weeks since insurrection about the whole concept of the badmirals. Mm-hmm. Is Eric Pressman a moral?
0: This is a tough one.
1: Yeah. It's very tough.
0: Um, I have to say, yes, no.
1: <laughs> that is a typical Dan Davidson reaction. It is an election year, clearly.
0: <laughs> I say that he's not a bad moral because... Uh, his heart is in the right place is the wrong term because he doesn't have a heart because he does not have the guilt, but his thought process, he is doing this for the good of the Federation. He believes that this treaty has handcuffed the Federation for 60 years, as he said, and he's trying to balance the power in the quadrant. You can't fault the guy for that. So it doesn't make him a bad moral, but those are the rules and you're breaking them. So that does make him a bad moral. So it's yes
1: and no. So does that make him any better than Admiral Cartwright? Cause Admiral Cartwright gave me you know, much the same rationale.
0: It's all Colonel West's
1: fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on which release you see, because they took him out of the theatrical <laughs> one.
0: It's a good, it's a good question. Um, I, th- I think I'm, I think my opinion is biased because I love Terry O'Quinn in this episode so much that it's hard for me to say anything bad about him. Uh, but he he doesn't think he's a bad admiral. Now uh, of course Cartwright didn't either, but or neither did uh uh send your ships. That guy. <laughs> admiral Dougherty. Thank you. Thank you, Dougherty, out. He was pretty dour too, wasn't he? <laughs> what do you think? Was he a bad admiral, man?
1: I I've gone back and forth on this because there are times where I think no, he wasn't. And then I get to that engineering scene when I see that he doesn't give a care about his crew that is dead at his feet, Mm -hmm. or the ones that are materialized inside solid rock. He's got no compassion, no remorse. I don't think that he's done this out of spite, but I I think he is a badmoral, but not necessarily in the truest sense of the word.
0: Okay. I think it's interesting. My opinion is he's also not doing this for personal gain of any kind of course in, at this time in the future with the federation there's no money there's no wealth but i don't think he's either i don't think he's doing it either for the recognition he truly believes that this is the right thing to do and it will help the federation get that tactical advantage that he feels they don't have there's nothing personal in it for him
1: it's for the good of the federation
0: that, oh, but, and don't. but same things like what you said before
1: cartwright was the same way uh, well, and so was Admiral Layton from Deep Space Nine yeah. in Homefront and Paradise Lost. Mm-hmm. And he clearly was bad because he staged a coup. Right. It's, so I think huh. that, you know, for stack ranking, Eric Pressman is nowhere near, no. you know, Admiral Layton or Cartwright or people who have tried to undermine
0: oh, I the def- Federation
1: and Starfleet. Definitely agree on that point. Absolutely. Even though he did violate the Treaty of Algeron, which kind of undermined Starfleet. <laughs> <laughs> ah!
0: Just a piece of paper when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, what do those, those treaties mean? Or a pad. I don't know what they had 60 years prior. but
1: Well, we saw in this episode there was plenty of paper for Captain Picard Day. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> where they kill those trees? I know. Oof. And then, Dan, our last central question, which is probably the one I thought of first, believe it or not. Hmm. If Gene were alive, and as we record this today, it is the 25th anniversary of his passing, do you think this episode ever would have been made?
0: That's a tough one to answer also. Um, based on what you said and what I agree upon with that last scene, where it's basically the crew of the original series on the bridge all patting each other on the back and laughing. Yeah, I think I think it could be. I I think there could be enough in the ending to make it so that Jean would have said, "Yeah, okay, uh, we can do this."
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: Do you, Do you agree?
1: I'm not sure if I do. Okay. Because of the t- you know the the outright tension between Picard and and Riker, you know the, the you know the Roddenberry rule essentially was that you know there can't be disharmony between the members of the crew, and this creates such a big rift personally between Picard and Riker when it comes right down to trust that I'm not sure if that would be the case there. Well, I mean, there's not the redemption here that Spock gets in the menagerie.
0: Well, I was going to bring that up. There is that violation of trust with Spock and Kirk in that episode. Hu- there
1: is a huge point. There is, but Spock essentially gets redemption because there's an alien influence, you know, cause Commodore Mendez was never there. You know, and and this was all orchestrated by the Talosians on some level. It's a weak defense. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you just save it for court. Okay? <laughs> but admittedly, with some of those episodes, I mean, you figure the menagerie was thrown together because you know yeah. they they needed a script. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> and they needed something to tie it together. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the rest of Next Gen, this episode stands out. You know, at at this kind of rift between the captain and the first officer. It may have been made, but I don't think it would have been nearly as potentially career ending for Riker and damaging that relationship. True.
0: Little off topic with the gene vision yeah. question, but what do you think would have, what, what, I don't know what do you think it would have been like if this episode was a season two or a season three episode where you still have, 4 years of the of the next generation to go could have had serious repercussions down the road I think we never got a chance to see that because this was the last season of the episodes on television
1: I I definitely don't think it would have been made at that point hmm, if it were season 2 I think that script would have been shelved
0: because Gene was on it well, yep. was involved okay what about season 3 then
1: um it could go either way but i don't think it would be as intense okay. as it was for season 7
0: because we've have we have the we know the relationships that the crew have by season yeah. 7
1: yeah that's a good point you figure even during season 3 you know the crew is secure in who they are but you still don't see a lot of those you know that warmth between the captain and other characters right you get to season 7 you start to see little you know, signs of it here and there. Mm-hmm. You get good insight into who Picard is. You see some of that, you know, that shield come down of sorts. Right. Within several episodes, whether it's attached or this one or... Beverly. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's another great episode. We'll talk about that someday. Oh, that's a good idea. But, um, you yeah, know, I'm still not so sure if season two or three, this episode, looks even the same way. Okay. Because it is that early. That's
0: that's a very good point. It would, yeah, would it it have the same intensity with not knowing the characters as well as we do? I think it would have been interesting in the fact that it would have left the door open to come back to it at a later time. I think that's why I would find it very interesting if it were made then, uh, if anything does come about it later on. Because we saw stuff like that happen in Deep Space Nine uh, several times.
1: Well, true, but Deep Space Nine also threw the Roddenberry rule out day one. Oh,
0: that's true. Yeah, that's absolutely true.
1: Yeah. Well, Dan, the only rule we have here is that we'd love to hear from our listeners. And they could perhaps give us their thoughts on the Pegasus, and how might they do that, sir?
0: Oh, there's a whole bunch of ways, Bill. On Twitter, Facebook, and Skype, our handle is TrekGeeks. Uh, you can also send us an email at trekgeeks@starfleet.com or you can give us a call at 508-784-1701. Leave us a voicemail there, or go to speakpipe.com slash TrekGeeks. And leave a message that way. Uh, As always, uh, Camp Kittimer is now open for business. Uh, We love having all the new people signing up, kind of on a daily basis now, I think it's safe to say. Um, You get early access to the Trek Geeks podcast as a member of Camp Kittimer. And to join the group, it's very easy. All you have to do is go to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And one of our awesome admins will let you right in. But please remember, you ready? I'm ready. Any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Back to you, Bill.
1: Thank you, Dan. I know as Adam Drosen listens to his 372nd favorite podcast in the new Drosmobile, he's loving the sports announcer voice.
0: Don't get any burger juice on that Drosmobile, Adam.
1: <laughs> well, Dan. We would be very remiss if we didn't thank the group of gentlemen who are making sure you went up in court this weekend on the g show. And that, of course, is the band Five Year Mission. They provide all of the music you hear on Trek Geeks. And it's just, it's fantastic. We love these guys. We love their music. They're doing an original song for every episode of the original Star Trek series. So please head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Download all their albums, listen to their music, and here's hoping they're the house band once again for STLV fifty one thirty slash twenty sixteen. Right, Dan?
0: I agree, hundred percent. And uh, if they are the house band, take it right now. Early trading tip: buy stock in Fabriz. It's going to be worth it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow, just
0: no, I don't say that in a bad way I mean they 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 like to use it. it's good stuff,
1: so now um, you're telling them they smell
0: <laughs> i I did not you keep putting words in my mouth, sir. I haven't I am, done no such thing. I am honored to have them on this show. I love every one of them. I can't wait to see them again and shake their hand this weekend aside they're gonna be probably not want to shake my hand because they're gonna have their tail between the legs when they lose, but uh they're awesome, and like you said, all the albums that they've got out, you know. Year one, year two, year three, Trouble with Tribble, Spock's Brain. They're working on year four. It's going to be awesome. I am asking, though, that they might want to write a special song for this weekend's trial at some point, because that might be pretty cool.
1: Really? Yeah. Like a ballad or something? Ah, Whatever whatever
0: they want to do. That's okay. Just don't do parody, because obviously you can't even do that in this world nowadays, but we're not going to get into that right now.
1: You can when it's funny. Wow. Okay, then. (laughs) Uh, you're really not going to do a Farkism. We're moving on. You heard
0: me. You 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 broke that mare, or whatever it's I, called. I, I did nothing. <laughs> you're
1: the one who made that decision. I had nothing to do with it. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens. Wow. I'm sure that'll get entered into the record this week. I'm, I have to protect myself at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if you're capable of doing that. <laughs> That's
0: why I have my wife. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure she's going to make sure you hang. Wow. (laughs) That's crazy. And, of course, fiveyearmission.net for all their great music. And, you know, if you were hoping to hear a Farkism this episode, you can write to Dan and say how disappointed you are. Uh. Uh, Dan, what do we have coming up next week when Farkism's return? Huh?
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess we'll have to work on that. But, you know seeing as if this week's episode was focused on the first officer of the enterprise D we thought that next week it's going to be a no holes barred first officer Thunderdome. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Who is the best first officer in star Trek and who will be left standing?
1: I almost feel like you needed a WWE entrance theme for this. I was
0: going to, I was going to start doing Hulk Hogan, but I couldn't think of the dialogue fast enough. I okay, tell you brother, what, brother. Uh, brother. <laughs> Whatever that song is. <laughs> the real American yeah. song?
1: No, don't perform that. We'll get sued oh, by him. Jesus, here we go. He just took down Gawker. <laughs> That's
0: right. <laughs>
1: uh, Dan, for more great uh, Star Trek? Trek? What the hell is that? So I'm gonna for more you. great Star Trek discussion, we hope everybody checks out our friends at the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. They've got like 100 million shows over there. You know, <laughs> leave and wow. the Gold Key comics and uh, the Atavacron. Seriously, you should head them over there and check them out. And, of course, for all the latest news on everything Star Trek, we hope you'll visit our friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been Episode 81 of Trek Geeks. We do hope you all live long and prosper.
0: She put the lime in the coconut. She drank it both up. Put the lime in the coconut. She drank it all up. Said fuck her. Ain't there nothing I can take? I said
1: fuck her.
0: To relieve this ache. I said
1: fuck her.
0: You
1: Need know, I go on? <laughs> you are gonna get us sued. <laughs> Bing bong! Hey, what's up? uh? Yeah. You okay? Yes. Don't choke. No. You want me to choke? You're too important.
0: Wow. Thanks. I'm sure that's all going to change when you have your stellar introduction in a few minutes. I uh, I lie a lot too. Yeah. So. And uh <laughs> and friends, I'd like to introduce to you the human scumbag of the earth, Mister Dan Davis. And Dan, because that's what you always do.
1: I've not used that one yet. I got to write that down. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. So I'd say I was watching this episode the other day. Damn, it's good. Watching what episode? The Pegasus. Oh, God. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> okay. I got to ask you a question here. Do you just randomly make sound effects like this, yes. you know, in regular conversation with your wife?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll be like, hey, honey, I thought that was great. And it, 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 that's just just what I do. And she laughs and she hugs me and tells me she loves me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you think she hugs you in that way, like, "Oh, honey, you're so precious," and then in her mind she's going, "What I can't wait to commit him in a home."
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of see myself as a lower version of that sound effects guy from the Police Academy movies,
1: Michael Winslow.
0: Yes, and also wasn't even Spaceballs? Oh no, that was Tim Russ. Uh, Tim Russ. Yep. You know? Oh no, he was the guy from Police Academy was in it too. Yeah,
1: yeah, he was—he was in there. Yeah, he was the sound effects guy. Yeah, Michael Winslow.
0: Yeah. All right. Good.
1: Wow. Good there's, a, there's a call back.
0: Oh uh, well. We ain't found <laughs> Tim <Timberland>, That's funny. <laughs> Wonder how much he gets for a check every time that's said. Like like like
1: two cents? Probably nothing. Pride <laughs> I don't know that the union pays at that level. <laughs> okay. What do I know though? Yeah.
0: So back to what you were saying. Yeah. Oh, awesome. It is so good. Terry O'Quinn is just freaking amazing. I would well, love to meet this guy someday.
1: It's not just him though. I mean... No, it's
0: not. It's everybody.
1: It's some of the best stuff they give Frakes in seven years. Yeah. yeah. Because Well, we'll talk about it in, in the episode, but even Patrick Stewart, you know, goes all first duty on Riker. Yeah.
0: I'm taking it up with you, Will.
1: Oh, that was good. I'll do that in the show. That was, <laughs> oh, I hope so. <laughs> yep. I <Hey>, hate you. Um... <laughs> I think you'll like your your intro tonight. Really, I think it's rather flattering.
0: Well, okay, I'll I'll uh, I'll take that under advisement.
1: Excellent. Yeah, It'll be a first I for think, everything. I think.
0: What's up? I
1: love you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love you. <laughs> I made a slight change to the episode mapping. Okay. I removed the winner's last name. Yes,
0: I saw that. Thank you. Okay. That's good protection. Yep.
1: It's our second winner in a row from Ohio.
0: Well, you know, it's uh, you say hi in the middle, and it's oh on both ends, or whatever that phrase is. I don't really remember it.
1: Yeah. Okay. What's I that got to do with I the don't. fact that both our winners have been from Ohio?
0: Because Cleveland's in the World Series?
1: I don't know. The Browns aren't going to the Super Bowl. I just want to throw that out there. I hope
0: they go 0-16. That would be great.
1: It's funny. The Walking Dead was on earlier than 9 p.m. last night. It was the Browns game.
0: (laughs) That was good.